Good morning, Memorial Church. What a real pleasure it is to be with you. I bring you warm greetings from the Episcopal Chaplaincy at Harvard on Two Garden Street. Let us pray. Come Holy Spirit, illuminate our minds and warm our hearts so that we may bear good fruit here on earth. Amen. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. On my way into Cambridge from 93, Waze sometimes takes me past a gray house with an arbor built over the parking lot. There are three grapevines trained over that arbor, and they look very stark right now because whoever takes care of that garden knows how to make grapevines produce fruit. Those vines are very shorn. Pretty much all you can see are the trunks. But I'm sure that in late August, there will be heavy clusters of sweet grapes hanging from those vines. Well, it's all very well for the vine grower to prune the vine. But it is less appealing when we imagine that vine grower pruning us. Yes, we want to grow. Of course, we want to bear lots of good fruit. But who wants to be pruned? There's a popular book called The Five Love Languages, which describes essential ways to express and experience love. The author lists words of affirmation, quality time, my personal favorite, gifts, acts of service, and physical touch, the one I always forget. Interestingly, he doesn't mention words of correction and improvement or pruning, because that's not the way that most of us experience love. Hallmark doesn't sell cards that say, stop being such a control freak, your devoted husband. Or, how about taking out the garbage once in a while, your loving roommate? But interestingly, the book of Hebrews tells us that God disciplines the ones he loves. And Jesus tells his followers on the night of his arrest, as he leads them out of the city of Jerusalem into the Kidron Valley, that they will experience pruning. Not because they're unfruitful, not because they're miserable failures, the opposite. They're going to experience pruning because they are already bearing fruit. And God, God wants them to grow even more. Pruning is a love language of God. So get used to it. There's an amusing account about St. Teresa of Avila that she was in a carriage on her way to do charitable work in the city when one day the horse reared and dumped her in the gutter. Complaining to the Lord about her treatment, 
she heard him reply, Teresa, whom the Lord loves, he chastises. This is how I treat all my friends. She replied, no wonder you have so few. <laughs> it can be painful to experience pruning. It's not something we really look forward to, but it's the way we become the fully loving people, the humble people, the free and joyful people that we're made to be. The way we grow into the full weight of glory that God has in mind for you and me. After all, let's face it, the standards for acceptance into the blessed company of God's own are really quite low. In the Episcopal Church, even infants can be admitted. Or as adults, one day we turn to Jesus and say, we want to begin a new life following him, and boom! He receives us with joy and calls us his beloved. He promises us forgiveness and eternal life right then and there. The Gospel of Luke tells us that angels rejoice in heaven in that moment. They don't wait prudently for graduation. At least on our side, the bar is low. The admission cost is easy. Kind of the opposite at Harvard, where you have to prove yourself in order to get in, and then of course it's all easy peasy from there on out. With the Christian journey, it's the reverse. It's not the admission that's hard. That has all been taken care of by Jesus' own life and his precious death offered for us. For us, it's not getting in that's challenging. It's the living out of the faith that asks so much of us. What theologians call the journey of sanctification. So what is this pruning metaphor really about? If we read on in the Gospel of John, we see a dramatic example of someone who undergoes this process. It's Peter the bold, blundering disciple who Jesus, who tells Jesus with all his heart, I will lay down my life for you. And he meant it. That is exactly the kind of friend Peter imagined himself to be, wanted to be. He envisioned himself bravely protecting Jesus and perhaps losing his life heroically. He didn't guess that what he would actually be called to endure was watching, helpless, as Jesus was arrested by a bunch of armed soldiers. What an awful, powerless place to stand. In fact, John tells us that during the arrest, Peter did take his sword and cut off the ear of someone named Malchus. But Jesus told him to stop. In Mark's account, we learn that Jesus actually reaches out and heals Malchus in the scuffle because, of course, Jesus came for everyone, even that soldier. But how difficult that was for Peter, the one who defined himself by taking bold action. 
to be a helpless bystander. And then later that night, when Peter was in the courtyard of the high priest, an annoying question from some interviewing teenage girl. You also are not one of his disciples, are you? And there in the moment, Peter didn't tell the truth. Just as predicted, he denied knowing Jesus three times. And finally, that rooster crowed. Mark's Gospel says that Peter broke down and wept. It's painful to be chastened, to see ourselves and our weaknesses revealed. It makes us very vulnerable. That's why Jesus reminds us, goes on and on about abiding in the vine, abiding in him, abiding very specifically in his love. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. We need to be connected to God's love if we're going to grow. We need to be connected to a living vine of supernatural love. And Jesus says, I am that vine. The grapevine is a metaphor for Israel in the Bible. Sometimes the image is expanded to a vineyard. If you look at drawings of the second temple, the one Herod built and that Jesus entered, there's a beautiful golden vine with clusters of grapes that twines around the pillars and over the entrance to the sanctuary. I was looking to see if there were any grapes around here. I, I haven't seen them, but maybe they're here and you can tell me. Josephus describes this marvelous decorative feature as does Tacitus. And especially because we're celebrating Arts Week here in Boston, I'll mention that some scholars think that it's very possible that Jesus was thinking of that very particular, beautifully conceived and wrought golden vine when he says, I am the true vine. For while Israel is God's beloved vine, or vineyard, that was supposed to bear good fruit, to be love in this world, a source of mercy and restoration, the scriptures were clear that the nation hadn't lived up to her high calling. Isaiah says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and he looks for justice, but behold bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold an outcry. Harsh words. And we need to take a moment to emphasize that those are the critique of a Jewish prophet spoken to his own people. The fact that they are included in the Hebrew Bible attests to the high standard of holiness to which Judaism submits. We are not to imagine that if Isaiah were writing for the Crimson today, that we would escape unscathed. Isaiah might be writing for the Crimson today. Isaiah's critique of Israel echoes over all nations under God. But back to the true vine. Jesus is saying that he is what Israel could never actually be. Direct access to God's supernatural love on earth. 
Abide in me, says Jesus. Abide in my love. Jesus' love is personal. It is powerful. It is for you in particular. It's not some abstract, wishy-washy concept of love that is divorced from actual bodies, your body sitting in the pew. Jesus calls us each by name. He knows all your names. He knows us individually, and he gave his life for each and every one of us. And by the way, remember Peter? Peter, undone completely after those three denials? Jesus came back to him after the crucifixion, in his resurrected body, specifically visited Peter to forgive him. And not only forgive him, to restore him and give him even more responsibility. Feed my sheep, says Jesus to Peter. Especially when you experience hard times of pruning, turn and meditate on Jesus, particular love. Remember that God prunes the branch that bears fruit so it will bear more. The example about Peter was pretty dramatic, but we experience God's pruning in small ways all the time. Maybe you're a performer, you've been the lead in several plays, you tried out for one this fall, and you were called back one of two, but when the cast list went up, the other person got the lead, and you were chorus girl number 27. There is a sting in that, isn't there? Of course there is, I was that girl. In a culture where success is the measure of worth, and that is the culture here, the sting can be more than just a disappointment. It can feel like death. Abide in me, says Jesus. Don't try to abide in some old lifeless stick that has no real love to offer. A varsity letter, perfecting our bodies, public opinion. Abide in Jesus, who is a living source of love. I love this quote from French author Georges Bernanos. As long as we remain in this life, we can deceive ourselves, think that we love by our own will, that we love independently of God. But we're like madmen stretching our hands to clasp the moon reflected in water. Jesus isn't just an example of what looks like what is love. He is the source. And the principal way to tap into that source is through our prayers, private and corporate. There's so many ways to pray, but this morning, because it's exam time, I'm going to suggest an expedient kind of prayer. The text message prayer. It's not flowery, but it's honest, and it gets to the point. Jesus, I'm exhausted. Help. Jesus, I'm sick. Heal me. Jesus, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, 
Give me more love. You see how this works. At the end of our passage, Jesus makes a stunning promise. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, there are certainly ways we could misconstrue this promise. Jesus, give me all A's. Not necessarily his word. Jesus, make me a gazillionaire. Definitely not a priority for Jesus. But if we pray, let me love like you, he will do it. It may take a while, but he will do it. Ask it. Ask it today. But be advised, it will involve pruning.